That was too good. Josh, can you come pray for me? I just feel totally wrecked by that worship set and not sure how to speak right now. So, thank you. (laughs) Father, just thank you for Matt. Thank you for his shepherding heart for this church. Um, Just pray that you take care of him as he brings the words this morning. um, That you would inspire his words, um, whether they were planned or not. (laughs) That you would just... um, speak through him this morning, give him peace, give him assurance of knowing that you are in charge and you are in control of uh, this church and his words. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Dang it, you made me cry again. What do I just can't? Ah, no, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to do this. It's going to be great because God's word is great, right? So we're, we're doing our last week in the Psalms this week. It's been a fun ride. We're in Psalm 139 this morning. And here's the main point. Here's what's true. Here's what we find in Psalm 139. Your view of God and how you think he views you determines how you live. Your view of God and how you think he views you determines how you live. Or A.W. Tozer said it like this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you this morning and every moment of your life is what you think about when you think about God. And we tend to get some really messed up views of God in our head. And I wanted to point out some of those. And I got these straight from Pastor Louis Giglio. If you've never listened to him, go YouTube Louis Giglio this week. You won't, you won't, uh, yeah, it'll be fantastic. But um, you won't regret it. Louis Giglio, uh, this is straight from him, but I loved it. So here's some different common views we have of God, even even as Christians that are just totally not true of God or half true of God, right? So one of them is the nameless, faceless, distant force God. God's like this momentum or energy or light, right? Think like Star Wars, the force, right? God, or whatever he's called, he's out there, and I'm not really sure um, who he is or what he is, but, but when I experience him, I know it's him. You know, this, this nameless, distant force God. Or you have this Siri God. Now, when I was practicing that this week, my phone answered me. So I thought it'd be funny if like five different phones. But the Siri God, nothing. Okay. Your phone doesn't know my voice. It just knows it's the reason my phone isn't in here this morning. Um, but the Siri God helps you with what you want when you need it, but then you just forget about him. The rest of the time, right? I don't think about Siri except for when I need to ask her a question, find out some information. The Siri God. Or you have the granddad God. Think like Morgan Freeman, this hip, mischievous twinkle in his eye with candy in his pocket. And he'll slip you a hundred whenever you need it. And he can't quite hear you, but he loves you. He's there for you whenever. Or you have like the scorekeeper God. The scorekeeper God is marking down every little word, every little thought and action that you do and say and think. And all he cares about is your scale of good and bad. And your scale of good better outweigh your scale of bad. Okay, maybe you could just come into church this morning if you have this view of God. Coming to church this morning got you some good credit to maybe um, outweigh the rest of the weekend. And, and you get extra credit if you show up on time. And, and even more extra credit if you bring your Bible. It's the scorekeeper God. 
You have the doomsday God. God is all hell, fire, damnation, and the greatest of these is damnation. Can't wait to just pounce on you. You have the stained glass God. This is the view of God that says that, you know, God only lives at church. Okay, so when we go to church, children, we're going to look forward and be quiet. And when it's done, we're going to leave. And that's it. That's God. He's just at church. You got your, your homeboy, God. You've seen the t-shirts? Jesus is my homeboy. He's my bro. Just a slob like one of us. You know, the, the people with that view of, of God are in for a surprise when Jesus comes back on a white horse with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes, right? You got the eBay God. I know that's a little dated. Maybe Amazon God. It's where you go to get stuff that's hard to find and get rid of stuff that you don't want anymore. eBay God. You have the me God. People would never actually, well, sometimes they do, but rarely do people say, I'm God. But they say things like, I call the shots around here. No one tells me what to do. You have the PC God. This is the non-offensive, non-abrasive, no hellfire, damnation, unless it's for my neighbor that I don't like God. I pick and choose what I like and don't like about God and what's found in the Bible. And in Psalm 139, we see God for who he is. And it's anything but those views of God. So, I am about to read Psalm 139 and preach it. But I tremble before God's word because it's his words. Who am I to bring God's word? But especially Psalm 139. Did you know that, that for centuries, Psalm 139 has been a refuge and a rock for Christians. And so I pray that that's what it is for you today and every day of your life. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the, the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak 
against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David, in verses 1 through 4, starts with his view of God and gets it right. He goes, remember, God is omniscient. God is omniscient. That means all-knowing. Omni mean all-encompassing, all-knowing. He knows everything about everything. And before anything ever was, he knew everything about everything that was going to be. You tracking with me? Okay, he, verse 2. He knew which seat you would sit in this morning in this church. He knows everywhere everyone has ever sat or stood or ever will sit or stand. He knows everyone's thoughts, which is a bit scary, and it should be. He knows every little thing anyone has done or doesn't do. He knows every word you've ever said, and he knows every word anyone has ever said or will say. He knows every sound that's ever been uttered, right? Every Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, or oh, or we could just keep going, right? He knows all the sounds that you've ever made or ever will make and what you meant by them even. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But David, in verses 1 through 4, it's not like he's going, God, you're omniscient. No, he, he doesn't even say that, right? He, he, it's not just this disconnected attribute of God to David, and it shouldn't be to us either. He's like, yes, God knows everything, but he knows everything about me. And so David had a right view of God that he's omniscient, but he also understood how God viewed him, and God views him and me and you as known, known by him. This is an intimate knowing of us. Verse 1, he's searched and known us. He's studied us. You know, Alexa, I don't have Alexa or Google Home or anything like that. But I, I hear that she gets to know things about you. Your musical preferences, uh, your, your schedule, that sort of thing. And she can tell you about it. So she knows about you, but it goes beyond that. This is an intimate father-son, father-daughter relationship. See, my son Brandon, I know about Brandon. And a lot of people know about Brandon. Right? Uh, Brandon loves snuggles. He loves TV. He loves, um, he loves riding his bike. He loves to sing when nobody else is listening, or at least he thinks nobody else is listening. Um, but nobody knows Brandon like Heather and I do. Nobody knows him like we do. From his first breath, his first moment, to his first word, to his, his first uh, step, which wasn't a walk, it was a run. <laughs> was it 10 months? Oh my goodness, that was crazy. But it goes beyond that. See, even a father-child relationship isn't close enough. See, some people know about Brandon. Heather and I know Brandon, but God knows Brandon. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? Verse 2, he knows when Brandon sits and stands. I can't keep track of that. Okay, verse 3, he knows everything Brandon has ever done or will ever do. Verse 4, he knows every word that Brandon has ever said. I wish I knew all of that. Would have really helped me in a lot of situations, including this morning already. God knows us, but it goes, he goes even farther. If you, if you jump forward to verses 17 and 18, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. New Living Translation says, How precious are your thoughts about me. And that's what the original is getting at. How precious are your thoughts about me? See, God's thoughts about you and about me are more than the sand on this earth. So imagine for a second, half a trillion grains of sand. Got it? Yeah, I didn't think so. So I need a volunteer that can count to 71. Yeah, right right there. Sophie, right? Or no, Mav, you want to do it? Come on up. I need you to count to 71. All right? I've got some sand. Okay? Here's your job. I've got a little baggie here. I need you to count out 71 grains of sand and put it in that bag, all right? You got it, man. You can do it. I know it's really hard. That's why I actually had you do it, because I didn't want to. But (laughs) So while he's doing that, I want to share a little bit about a song that I heard this week, and I've heard before by Torrin Wells called Known. And it says... It's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known and loved by you. I love that. It's, it's hard truth that God fully knows us. It's hard truth because it scares the bejeebies out of me. And it should you as well, right? He knows everything you've ever thought. I've thought a lot of terrible things. Right? As of all of us. I've done a lot of terrible things that God in His grace has forgiven me for. Right? God knows all of those. Even the ones in secret. He knows it's it's hard truth. But it's ridiculous grace. It's so ridiculous because He knows all those things. But yet, loves me. And cares for me. And cares for you. You about there, man? Yeah? We'll call that good. That's good. Thanks, man. Let's give him a hand. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Here we go. Wow. Good job. I, yep. So if every person on the planet got a bag of 71 grains of sand, that is half a trillion grains of sand. Okay? Better perspective for you. Here's the kicker. Half a trillion grains of sand only fills up one sand volleyball court. And God has more thoughts about you than all the sand. In all the earth. Hard truth and ridiculous grace. To be known, fully known, and loved by God. Second thing we see, the attribute of God we see in here is God's omnipresence. Verses 5 through 12. Omnipresent just means he's present everywhere all the time. Verses 7 through 9. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? There's no place on earth, right? He can't go anywhere. No place on earth or in the universe or even in the spiritual realm, he says, that I can get away from God. Just ask Jonah. If you're not familiar with Jonah, go read the book of Jonah. It's very short, um, but, but, a, but a fun book, 
right? But Jonah ran away from God or tried to run away from God. He's like, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. He's like, no, I am scared of the Ninevites. They are evil people. I'm not doing that. I'm running away. I'm going the other direction. And of course that didn't work because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You cannot run from God. Verses 11 through 12. David's like, okay, well, maybe if I, if I can't get away from him, maybe I could hide in the dark corner of a room and he wouldn't see me. Nope, doesn't work. That's what he concludes. Doesn't work. He's present even in the dark corners of the room. Just ask Adam and Eve, right? They sinned. They tried to hide in the garden. Can't hide from God. But it isn't this creepy like, you can run, but you can't hide from, from God. It's not, it's, not, it's not like that. I mean, there's certainly amount of he- uh, an amount of healthy fear that should come of God. But his omnipresence, by and large, is for our good and to care for us. And so David concludes here, yeah, God is omnipresent. But because he's omnipresent, his view of me is that he cares for me. He loves me. Verse 5, he is with us, caring for us. From all fronts, everywhere we go, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, he's actively caring for you. Often in ways you don't even recognize or are even aware of. And it says, you, you lay your hand upon me. This is like a hand of blessing. It's like earlier, Jamie's up here, I had my hand on him while I was praying for him to bless him. Hopefully you've had that experience with people. There's something so empowering about not just getting prayed for, but have... Have someone pray for you with their hand on you. That's God. This gentle reassurance. He cares for us. Verse 10, it's beyond just a present uh, hanging out with us, right? It says, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So he definitely leads us. But when it comes to holding us and protecting us, he uses his strong arm. His right arm, sorry lefties out there, but in the Bible, right arm stands for strength. I think of like a super dad. You know, when you see the super dads with their kids, they have like five kids with them. And they have one that's just kind of tucked in their arm right here. And then they're like guiding the other kids, go this way, go that way sort of thing. So I, that's what I think of here. God, God is leading us with his hand, but he is holding us with his strong hand. He saves his strong hand to protect us, to hold us close, to care for us intimately. God is leading us in the right direction with his spirit and his word, but he is also holding us close as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So do you view God as not just present, but active in caring for you. He is. God is actively caring for you. This is true regardless of how you feel. Believe that. Live in that. The next attribute of God that David clings to is that God is creator. Verses 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is creator. He made all humans intricately in the womb. But, and he certainly created us, but it's deeply personal to David, and it should be deeply personal to us. Yes, he's the creator, but he uniquely designed me. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely and intricately designed by God. All of your physical features, your personality, your intellect, all fearfully and wonderfully made. Someone was telling me this week about um, a little part of the ear. So I did some investigation and I found this out. Within the inner ear, there's a little pouch called the, uh, I'm sorry, medical people, utricle that contains about a thousand little pebbles made of calcium carbonate. Okay. The tiny rocks serve as an important serve an important purpose. They stimulate nerve cells when we move our heads and send signals to our brain that guide our sense of up and down. The trouble is that sometimes the little rocks fall off, explains Dr. Timothy Hain, a dizziness expert at Northwestern University. When the rocks fall into one of the inner ear canals, the brain gets confused. As the rocks roll around in the canal, the brain senses that the head is moving a lot more than it actually is. Now, here's the kicker. This person told me that each of those little pebbles, we have, we have a thousand of them. Each of those little pebbles is the size of a pin. And if one or two just fall off, your whole sense of up and down just gets all out of whack. Tell me God did not uniquely design us. I mean, I could go on and on with how God has intricately, uniquely designed us as humans, human beings. And it says here, from conception, you were you. You were a unique human. It says you knitted me together in my mother's womb. You were a me in the womb. A precious, unique life. And in verse 14, all he can do is praise God for it. It's the only fitting response. There, certainly there's times for lament and crying out to God, but through every circumstance, much like we sang in, in a lot of the songs this morning, through every circumstance, God is worthy of praise. Why? Because he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's the creator. We are known. We are cared for and uniquely designed by God. No circumstance is going to change those truths. Praise is the only fitting response when we come face to face with not our messed up views of God, but with who God actually is and who we are because of who he is. So when your view of God is correct and you see clearly how God views you, you start to do one of two things, the psalmist says here. Verses 19 through 22, you start to hate what God hates. Now, if you're like me, you read this chapter and you read verses 19 to 22 and go, where did that come from? Wait, that, that doesn't even seem to fit. Even with the last two verses, you're like, what? But I did some investigation, study, studied it a little bit and realized, 
Read it with me. It says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood. Depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? See, David hates the things that God hates. He's not, we don't know if David's talking about his own enemies or not, but we do know he's talking about God's enemies. And when we understand who God is and who we are because of who he is, we start to hate the things that God hates. And here's what we know in 2019 from all of scripture, what God hates. God hates sin and he hates the devil. If we were just going to boil it down to a couple things, he hates sin and he hates the devil. This week, both of those things had quite the wrestling match with me. If you didn't get a chance to go back and listen to Recap Gray's message last week, it was spectacular. It was phenomenal on Psalm 10. But it's really hard to follow, <laughs> right? Just to be real candid. I've, I've had to preach this psalm to myself this week. I'm preaching this sermon to me this week, first and foremost, because I have needed it because I'm like, what, what do I even say? How do, I mean, who am I? It's battling Lies that I am not good enough to stand up here and preach God's word. But here's the thing. It's God's word. It's not mine. And it also led to the sin of envy and comparison. And so I actually called Recab up this week and just said, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Envying you. And that's wrong. And so I've been trying to own that and hate that sin. And hate those lies from the pit of hell. And stand here and believe what I just read. That I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not recab and that is fantastic. Maybe for you. At work. You've got, you've got a co-worker or a, or, or a boss. Or, or, or just someone that you're always comparing yourself to. And I challenge you to start to view yourself the way God views you. That you are known by Him. You are cared for by Him. That you are uniquely designed by Him. So it does not matter what those other people are doing. You be faithful. You do what God has given you to do. And use the gifts that He's given you. And not look to the right or to the left. Maybe it's as a, a mom or a dad and all you see is people posting things and, and they got this perfect life. Well, guess what? That often isn't even true when they're posting it, for one. They're just putting on a fake face. And two, who cares? Because God has uniquely designed you today. And God does not care about what you post online. He cares about how you did loving your children and your spouse the way that God has designed you to love and care for your children, your spouse. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
The devil's won if we give in to that comparison trap. So we have to start hating the thing God hates. The devil and sin. And battle that. And the only way we can do that is when we see God rightly and see ourselves rightly. Otherwise, you have no hope against sin and no hope against the devil. But you can see God rightly. The Holy Spirit's help. I pray that you will see God rightly and see yourself rightly. And it'll change the way you live. Change the way you think. It has this week. For me, I, I beg you to join me in doing that. And the second thing, when we view God correctly and see ourselves correctly, we hate what God hates and we start to surrender to God. We repent. We surrender. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Try me, he says. When was the last time you you did that? said, God, try me. I know that's a scary prayer. I know we don't actually want to pray that. But, but when we find ourselves secure in God, we can do that. Try me. Do you see the emotion? Did you see all the exclamation marks in verses 23 and 24? He's not just like, yeah, God, if you get some time, point out some things that are wrong in my life. That'd be cool. See you later. No, God, I need you to do this in my life because I am messed up and I need you to change me from the inside out. But how can we pray something so boldly and so confidently? Because if he searches and tries me, I'm doomed and so are you. I know the ugly thoughts I've had this week. I know the wicked things that I've done in my life. If he tries me, how can I even stand? Here's how I can stand. Here's how you can stand. The absolute, solid, rock, Jesus. Our assurance is in Jesus. Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That is assurance. You will be saved. It's not like you might be. You will be. And Romans 8, 38 to 39 essentially just says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, it frees us. The gospel frees us to surrender and ask Him to do some work on us. Because we don't have to be afraid of losing our position. Our position is secure. We are children of God. If you have believed in Jesus, you are secure. And if you haven't, I pray that you would do that today and find absolute security. And it will free you to live a life of repentance, not of perfection. We're all going to screw up, but of repentance, saying, God, try me, point out the grievous ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm safe and secure for eternity because of Christ. I'm known, I'm cared for, and uniquely designed by God. I trust you to try me and refine me. So you might be here this morning, maybe you've been a believer for quite some time 
and come to church for quite some time, and you're like, Matt, I already knew all of this about God and about my identity. Great. How's awareness of that going in your life? Who cares what you know about God and his view of you if you don't live in everyday awareness, intentional awareness of who he is and how he views you? Do you live with a continual awareness of being known by the omniscient God? Do you live with a continual awareness of being cared for by our omnipresent God? Do you live with a continual awareness of being uniquely designed by our creator God? If you did that just a little bit, if you were just a little more aware of God and his view of you, you would start to hate the things that he hates even more and love the things that he loves even more. And you, you would start to mean humble, bold prayers of surrender like verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. God, I pray for awareness. I think for most of us in this room, it isn't that we don't know enough about you and who we are in you. It's that we don't remember that we're not aware, actively aware of who you are, God. So I pray that in those moments of temptation this week, we would realize that you're right there with us. I pray that in those moments of insecurity and fear and doubt, we would remember that we are uniquely designed by you and we don't have to be slaves to fear anymore because we're children of God. I pray for those moments this week where we think that nobody understands what we're going through. Nobody gets me we would understand that God gets us better than we get ourselves and that would free us to trust you and pray bold prayers like David did. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.